impact they have. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms at the 95th Street campus and Bolingbrook campus here at Hobson. I I will tell you, I watch that video and it strikes awfully close to home for me. Uh, You know, my Olympic event, if you will, is preaching. And I'm going to confess something. Don't tell anybody this, all right? My parents often come at our Saturday night service, sit right over there. And when they do, I cannot not look at my mom. Drives me crazy. I get up here and I'm like, you're a grown man, Jeff. You're a grown man. You don't don't need to look at mommy. I, I am a mama's boy. I'll just say it. There. And here's another thing. At the end of every Saturday night, I have this little routine where when the service is done and I'm driving home, every time I call my mom. And if she wasn't there, she asked me, hey, how did it go tonight? And there have been more than one occasion where I didn't feel good about it. And I'll go, mom, oh, train wreck. It was terrible. She goes, Jeff Griffin, you couldn't preach a terrible sermon if you tried. I bet it was awesome. Uh, there, there have been times when my folks are here, and I also give them a call. I don't get to talk to them at church because I'm uh, talking to others. But in the car, I'll call. And in those cases where they are here, my dad says, hey, put it on speakerphone. I want to offer my son some constructive criticism on his sermon. <laughs> and he does so lovingly and respectfully, but my, my dad will say, son, you may want to think tomorrow I, I advise you to make these changes. And my mom will butt in and say, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That sermon was perfect. Don't change a thing. (laughs) Praise God for moms. Uh, Moms. You know, the, the line in that video ends by this statement. It says, it takes someone strong to make someone strong. And being that we're in a series about greatness, let's change it, shall we? Does it take someone great to make someone great? Is there truth in that? Is, 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 do great moms have a role in making great people? And I think the answer is yes. 
And it begs the question as we studied John the Baptist, Jesus, remember, had told everybody, us included, look at John the Baptist. I'm telling you, Christ said, he's the greatest human being who's ever lived. And Jesus was begging for us to study John. Is John's greatness in part a result of his mother's influence? And so here in Mother's Day, it's only appropriate that we take a look at week four of this series, and that is his mother. Who's John's mom, and what role did John's mom have in making him great? Well, John's mom's name was Elizabeth. We do know about her in the Bible. I'll tell you a little bit of her story. She dealt with the pain of infertility. She and her husband, Zechariah, wanted kids, but they couldn't have kids. And so at the stage of the story we're going to jump in on, she's an old woman, and yet God has miraculously made her pregnant. Uh, This angel appeared to her husband and said, I got quite a miracle here. Your wife is with child. A pregnancy that, you know, God has miraculously brought about. And it's at this precise moment that Elizabeth has a parenting moment, if you will, with a relative of hers, a teenage girl named Mary. And yes, that Mary is also miraculously pregnant. She is pregnant with Jesus Christ. And her miraculous pregnancy is of a different sort. She's of childbearing age, but she's a virgin. And so we're going to take a look at how Elizabeth parented Mary. I'll tell you why we're going to look at that. For one, there is no record of how Elizabeth parented John. I wish there were, but it's just not there. And so in our effort to understand what is Elizabeth like and how would she care for a teenager, we're going to take a look at this interaction with she and Mary. Let me read a verse. Luke 1, 56 says this, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. At this moment, I want to just draw a few things out. First of all, you say, well, two pregnant ladies. Uh, they share that, yes, miraculous pregnancies. But they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Elizabeth is a very old woman, like a grandmother stage of life. And Mary is young. And uh, I need to be clear on how young. Uh, this is a bit offensive to our modern sensibilities. But in that ancient culture... Girls got married at 13, 14, or 15 years old. Isn't that crazy? It's just the way it was done. And so, yes, Mary is a young teenage girl. She's not even married yet. She's just engaged. And so this is going to be three months of Elizabeth, if you will, parenting Mary. I'm even going to make the case that Mary was likely a runaway at this stage. She uh, has taken off from her home. And you should know that the way they had marriage structured back then, these young girls were under the care of their parents until they went directly under the care of their husband. And so for her to just take off by herself as a 14-year-old, I'd say, and go is odd. But there's reason why she would want to run away. You see, her story of really, trust me, I'm pregnant, but I haven't slept around, I'm a virgin. That wasn't flying real well. Uh, We know from another passage that her fiancé, Joseph, said, yeah, right. 
and privately resolve to end their engagement and their plans for marriage. We can imagine that her parents and siblings said the same thing. Yeah, right. Sure, that happens. And so she is being rejected by family. The society would have turned on her. If you think a teenage pre-marriage pregnancy is a big deal today, back then it was illegal and punishable by death, stoning. And so Mary is in a world of hurt. And the angel that announced to Mary that she's going to be pregnant, though a virgin, is the same angel that told her that your relative Elizabeth will understand. Elizabeth is pregnant also by a work of God, even though she's in her old age. And so Mary, not knowing where else to turn, hit the road as a young teenager, traveled to this other town where Elizabeth lived. And and Elizabeth took her in. I'm imagining that Elizabeth wrote to Mary's parents and said, Mary's safe. She's with me. If you'll allow me, I'd like to have her stay with me for a time because I think I am uniquely suited to help her in this moment. And that's what happened. There's this parenting going on for three months. One of the things I love about this application is not only does it give us a window into how Elizabeth parented Mary and how she probably parented John as well, but it's a reminder to all of us that this impact of the younger generation is not exclusively for young parents who still have kids in the home. Uh, You can parent grandkids. You can parent nieces and nephews. You know, this is probably a great aunt great-niece type of uh, connection here. You can parent or influence uh, kids here at church by serving in uh, Compass Kids. It may be that there's somebody in the neighborhood that the Lord leads you to get to know their family and make a special investment in the kid. There are so many ways that we can be used to impact. So there is application to moms, obviously, but there's application to anybody who desires to change the world by changing a young person. And so, how did they interact in these three months? Well, let me me just get ready for a verse. Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house, announces what's happened, and upon announcing what's happened, Elizabeth responds. And Elizabeth's response is recorded in Scripture, and I'd like to turn and read it now. Luke 1, verse 42. Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to clarify that this is really a prophecy. In fact, the context says that that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she uttered these words. It is primarily a prophecy about Jesus. It is announcing Christ as the Messiah, though in utero still, he is Her Lord, she says. And so it's all about Jesus. Secondarily, it gives us a window into the nature and heart of Elizabeth. 
And it's that secondary function that I'd like to look at with you. Because it tells us, yeah, though the Spirit of God is moving in Elizabeth, her personality, her style, her approach is coming through in these words as well. And we can learn from her because she's brilliant in how she ministers and impacts this scared teenage girl. And so I'd like to make four observations of four things that Elizabeth gave Mary that we can give young people, that moms can give their kids. You ready? Let's break this up and first start with verse 42. Blessed are you, Mary, among all women, and blessed is that kid whom you will bear. Folks, these are good words really welcomed words. Because Mary, as I've already alluded to, has been experiencing a messaging of a very different sort. Family, friends, neighbors, everybody is glaring at her saying, you wicked little girl. And she would feel worthless if she embraced the message of her world. And here, Elizabeth, for the first time, is someone celebrating her and saying, Girl, you are blessed by God above all women. Do you realize how incredible this honor is? And she points to the one in her womb and says, That child you will bear is the blessed one. Do you realize this calling you've been given? I call this the gift of identity. Uh, Elizabeth says, Do you realize who you are? Mary. One of the things that we got going in this world is that the, the, the kids today are getting this bombardment from their peers and from others that you don't matter. You don't count. There's no value to your life. And, and as a result, a lot of kids are in a really dark place. But we have the opportunity to describe their identity in the Lord. You say, well, my kid isn't exactly carrying the Messiah. But if your kid's a Christian, they're carrying the Holy Spirit within them. And they are precious to God. They are created by God in his image. Christ came to die to save their soul. If they're a believer, they've been adopted into his family. They're his sons and daughters. They are precious beyond words. The question is, do they know that yet? Has that identity, the biblical identity, uh, soaked in? I had a tough conversation last week with a friend in our church, and he was saying how he laments the tough childhood his wife endured. Her parents were so dysfunctional that they could not, did not parent her, and she ended up in an orphanage as a little girl. And back then, this is 60 years ago, the orphanages sometimes were called home for unwanted children. In fact, I have a picture here of such an orphanage. And this, my my friend said, my wife grew up. Every day she walked under a sign that said, home for unwanted children. Can you imagine that? And he said, when she found Jesus, she found identity like she never dreamed. She needed to be who God says she is. And though our kids aren't struggling at this level, they are being bombarded again by Satan. He's trying to destroy their sense of self-dignity and worth. By peers, by society. 
And we must step in and speak the truth of their value in God's eyes. I, uh, uh, yesterday, my son, Jake, was dancing around the house singing, which he frequently does. But this song I had never heard. He was singing, I am who God says I am. And I'm like, that's a good song. Where would you hear that? He's like, oh, Compass Kids, Dad. And so I contacted our children's pastor, Dan, here, and I'm like, I am who God says. Oh, yeah, Jeff, he sends me the song. And it is just this great song that celebrates through these character traits that we embody because of who God says we are. And I told Dan, I'm like, Dan, thank you. Thank you for joining me in my effort to help my boy understand who he really is. Uh, he, he ain't struggling with self-esteem issues. He's dancing around the house going, I am who God says I am. And that's the goal, is to help the younger generation. Next slide. Help the younger generation understand their identity. And, and Elizabeth said, Mary, do you even realize how blessed you are? Next verse. Verse 43 says, Elizabeth continues, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That statement was unexpected. I'll give you a little background. Elizabeth, her husband Zechariah, are of the clan of Aaron, the most prestigious people in all the land. Uh, They were the wealthiest. They were the priests. They were the powerful. They were the honored And Mary and her family were not part of that clan. They were related, but not part of the clan. And so Mary would have looked at Elizabeth as my important aunt. She's the one who lives in the other town in the big, beautiful house that everybody, she's the busy one, very uh, caught up in important matters. And so she would have felt inferior. And as she knocked on the door, she would have been like, I don't know if she'll have time for me. Does she have time for her? Look what she says. How honored, how blessed, how favored am I that I would get the privilege of being with you, that you'd come to me. Isn't that cool? Folks, sometimes the younger generation wonders, are you interested in me? Do you have time for me? I was thinking of calling this point, you know, we have to give our kids our time. But in this particular stage of our Uh, cultural development, I realize that we, more than ever, can be with our kids physically, but not with them attentively, because of devices, because of phones. And so I'm going to talk about the gift of attention. When you really are stoked to be with someone, you give them your attention. Uh, So many times, I think you would agree, today, families are in the same house but not together. And it goes all the way up to the top. Uh, 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 President Barack Obama's second inauguration, they snapped a picture of his family sitting in the front row. And look at what they're on. They're all on their devices. They're together, but not really together. They've done a study. Uh, this, This study comes from the Boston Medical Center. They sent scientists into restaurants to observe and tabulate data. You know what they found? They were watching families in a restaurant, and they found that 70% of parents 
used their phone during, at some point during the meal that they were with the kids. And the same study revealed that 54% of kids feel that their parents are on their phone too much and that it makes them feel unimportant when their folks choose the device over them. Isn't that interesting? I'm just saying, we honor our kids and pour into them when we can learn to engage them in the art of conversation and give them our full attention. That's what Elizabeth blessed Mary with for three months. I was, you know, failing in this just a couple of weeks ago. I was driving a bunch of kids to youth group here, junior hires, and I, uh, I was feeling good about myself. I'm like, what a great dad. I'm driving the minivan. I got my junior high daughter. I've got other kids. I'm listening to the Cubs game. They're on their devices. And God's spirit just said, Jeff, yeah, you're blessing them by bringing them to church. You really want to know how to bless them? Connect with them. Converse with them. And so I asked, I go, you know, I'm listening to the Cubs game. You guys Cub fans? No? All right. Turned off the Cubs game. And I, you know, I'm like, all right, it, this can be intimidating. I just want to acknowledge it. You know, young generation thinks we're uncool, and they're right. But it makes this generational gap a little difficult to cross. But I said, God, give me topics that we can discuss. And I did it. And we had a fantastic conversation as we drove to church. And that's what makes a time impacting. And so... Uh, Elizabeth is like, I am thrilled, honored to be with you. And we should have the same attitude towards the younger generation. Give them not only our time, but our attention. Next verse. Verse 44, Elizabeth continues. She says, Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, I'm telling you, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, mothers expectant mothers, feeling their child kick is not something unusual. It happens all the time. And yet Elizabeth believed this one was different. Elizabeth was like, I I believe God's spirit was giving her discernment that something very significant was going on. She realized, wow, that kick at that moment was unusual. I think my child was recognizing and responding to the presence of her child. And not only did she discern that, she articulated that to Mary. She said, Mary, I'm not kidding you. My baby just celebrated your baby. And I can imagine Mary go, you think? I know. I call this sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity. You see, the younger generation doesn't always recognize the activity of God going on, but we, if we're older and older spiritually, have more spiritual sensitivity and can help them see what we see, help them recognize what we recognize. You know, they're oblivious to the fact that God's at work. We recognize it, so describe what you see. Describing what you see, what they can't see, reminds me of Jake in the airplane. Uh, We recently went to Florida and uh, Jake sat by the window, and I wasn't by the window, so I said, Jake, what do you see? And I saw it through Jake's eyes as he described it to me. That's a blessing we can give to our kids. I'm seeing something here that you may not, so let me tell you what I see. Later on this vacation, I 
returned the favor, if you will. Here's a picture of the sunset my daughter Janae snapped with her phone. And as we were standing on the beach watching the sun set into the ocean, my kids got a little sermon. They get sermons every once in a while. I said, hey, I go, I go, do, we, do you realize what you're looking at here? A sunset, Dad. Yes, but more than that. Guys, this is the artwork of God Almighty. God made the sun, and he made the ocean, and he came up with the idea of it setting uh, into the horizon and creating an explosion of color and light like this. This is artwork. God is here hoping we enjoy what he's made. And I'm seeing it, and I don't think they are, so I'm trying to help them see what I see and become sensitive to the beauty of God that's all around us if we have eyes to recognize it and take it in. And so, next slide. One of the things we can help our kids do is grow in sensitivity, as Elizabeth did to Mary. I just got to tell you what just happened, because you, Mary, don't realize, but I do. This is awesome. It's one of the great ways, one of the great gifts we can give the younger generation. Next verse. Verse 45, the last one. Elizabeth looks at her and says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who has believed. Who is she who has believed? That's Mary. So what Elizabeth is doing is complimenting or praising Mary. Let's put praises down. She's saying, Bravo, girl. The angel appeared to you and said, You're going to be pregnant, though a virgin. It's Quite possible, Mary hasn't even lost or missed her first period yet, and yet she believes what the angel proclaimed, even though it's physically impossible. Now, what makes this fun is I believe that Zechariah was probably standing in the vicinity at this time. And you say, if Zechariah was there, wouldn't he have said something and his words be recorded? No, he can't talk right now. Zechariah has been uh, stricken mute by God as discipline or punishment for the fact that he too had an angel appear to him announcing a miraculous pregnancy. Same angel, in fact, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, your wife, though she's past childbearing age, will be with child. And he laughed. <laughs> yeah, right. And his lack of faith, God says, you know what, buddy? You can't talk for nine months. And so imagine this, would you? Here, uh, uh, Elizabeth is saying to Mary, Mary, the angel came announcing a miraculous pregnancy, and you believed. Not all people would believe in a situation like that, you know. Isn't that great? The contrast is beautiful, and she's celebrating this young girl who has faith that her husband didn't. And folks, we got to celebrate our kids getting it right. I think we more often criticize than praise. Now, we do need to criticize. Constructive criticism is part of our role as parents, but I think that the ratio sometimes gets a little messed up. In fact, there was a study done by uh, Harvard, and they put their results in the Harvard Business Review. Uh, The article was entitled, The Ideal Praise to Criticism Ratio. Now, admittedly, this is a business context study, but I think it applies to the family. They did an analysis, and they found that business groups that have more criticism than praise, they talk more about what's wrong, people are getting it wrong, than when they're getting it right. 
they found those groups to be the least productive business groups. Those groups that had equal amounts of positive affirmation and negative criticism, those groups were medium productivity. And those groups where there was more positive celebration of getting it right than there was criticism of getting it wrong, they found those groups to be the most productive. Now, they said most, uh, both must be there. A group that doesn't criticize won't be maximizing productivity. But the ideal ratio that Harvard recognized was a six-to-one ratio of six celebrations of getting it right to every one criticism of you, you blew it there. Isn't that amazing? Are you at a six-to-one ratio? Maybe not, and I'm not saying that's the word of God, but I think there's some wisdom from God in that study and in this passage that we need to be looking for the younger generation to get it right and just saying, whoa, stop. Do you realize what you just said, what you just did? Bravo, that was awesome. We don't do that enough. And I think that's an important way to reinforce God's path and, and celebrate them getting it right, just as Elizabeth did for Mary. Let's go to the review slide. Folks, Elizabeth had a God-given assignment. Take in this young, struggling teenager into your home for three months and, and bless her. And we got a window into how she did that. She looked at Mary and she said, Mary, the world may be telling you who you are. They're wrong. Girl, you are blessed above all women. You have an assignment from God that is awesome. We can do the same. Elizabeth said, I am honored to be in your presence. I am blessed. Let's spend time together. And give, she gave her attention to Mary and I'm guessing when she, her little boy was born to her son as well. And it marked them. We can do the same. Mary said, or Elizabeth said, I, I see God at work, even in my baby kicking. And Elizabeth was a wise woman who had grown in identifying the activity of God. And she described what she saw or felt and, and gave spiritual sensitivity to Mary and to John. And we can do the same. And Elizabeth celebrated Mary getting it right, and she probably did the same with John, and it marked them, a cheerleader in their lives, and we can do the same. Moms, your job is as important as it gets. Do you realize that? You want to change the world, you do that by changing a life, and that's what it means to be a mom. And I just want to say, moms, keep at it. Even if your child is old, they still need that knowing glance from you. Trust me. Uh, You have a high calling. And beyond moms, all of us, you have a chance to change the world by changing a life. And have you made yourself available to be God's agent to operate in these ways in the lives of those nieces, nephews, grandkids, great-grandkids, neighbor kids? God will use you to advance his cause and change the world by impacting the life of a young person. Would you pray with me? Oh, before we pray, let me say this. What we're going to do following is sing a song. Moms, we hope it's a song that blesses you because it's a song that reminds you that you're not alone as you step into this very challenging assignment. Yes, it's hard. 
to step into this high calling. But the God of angel armies is by your side. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the moms who have poured their heart and soul into this high and difficult job you have given. Would you bless them even today and reinfuse them with a fresh sense of call and energy to keep up the good fight for the souls of their kids. And God, for all of us that are here, we want to be like Elizabeth. We want to be your agents of transformation in the lives of the younger generation. Lead us. Give us courage because they scare us sometimes. (laughs) And give us patience, love, wisdom, and the right words to say as we drive that minivan or wherever we may be. But God, we pray that you take our broken, unimpressive lives and use us in glorious ways to impact others. We pray this in your name. Amen.